Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week we will be listening to Pastor David preach from Proverbs. The name of the series is called Fear God Plus Walk Wisely. He will be preaching from Proverbs 2. The name of the sermon is called Praise God From Whom All Wisdom Flows. Let's join Pastor David now. Let me pray before we continue into God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, oh Lord, as we have, if we have declared through song, as we've responded to you song, through song, Lord, tune our hearts to sing your praise. Lord, help us to respond to your grace. We are never alone. That though we were lost in darkness, Lord, though we are prone to wander, you, Lord, light of the world, chased us. And Father, we are here to thank you for that. We are here as we look at your word to soak in that, Lord, that the truths of the gospel, that the truths of your word would truly marinate in our souls in such a way that we look different. So Father, as we turn to your word today, as we always pray every single Sunday, Lord, change us, transform us, light of the world, come into the darkness of our hearts that we might be made new, revived, that we might be transformed to look more into the image of your Son. Find in us humble hearts, receptive ears to what you would have to say to us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the claims to fame, we'll call it that, of the area of Minnesota that I grew up in. I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, not quite Canada, but getting pretty close. We would tease that we're kind of a southern suburb of Canada, up where I grew up in Minnesota. And one of the claims to fame of our areas there is that that is where the headwaters of the Mississippi River is located. So if you swam all the way upstream, you start in the Gulf of Mexico and just start swimming north, which would be an incredible feat, by the way. But if you made it all the way to the top, you'd end up in Itasca State Park, and you'd end up in Lake Itasca, this humble lake with big boulders that uh, we've placed as somewhat of a tourist trap that you can literally walk across the headwaters of the Mississippi River, or you can just sit back and watch people slip and fall into the river, one or the other. And there's a beautiful thing about knowing that that's, that's where it starts. This beautiful, tremendous, massive river, the Mississippi River, starts in this lake. And of course, we're no strangers to lakes either. We got a massive lake right next to us. We got all a bunch of lakes in, in Wisconsin and in, and in Illinois in this area. And some of you perhaps are, have been on the lake, either fishermen or fisher ladies or enjoyed tubing or skiing or whatever it might be. And there's something beautiful about these lakes, isn't there? Sally and I have recently enjoyed uh, catching a sunrise on the lake. You see the sun peek up over the, the, the trees and the horizon, and there's that mist upon the glassy, smooth, peaceful waters. And as the sun continues and the heat rises, the mist is chased away and replaced by ripples on the water, and the wind might pick up, and those evolve into waves and perhaps white-capped waves. And there's something beautiful about that. There's something peaceful about it. And as we, and perhaps if you spend time on a lake, you look 
down, and there's, there's a sense of depth and wonder and mystery about a lake. Even very clear lakes, maybe you can only see, what, seven, eight feet, nine, ten feet, very clear lakes. But we don't know exactly what's on the bottom, the sense of mystery and wonder, and, and from these are birthed these beautiful rivers, the headwaters of rivers. Where does wisdom flow from? What are the headwaters of wisdom, ultimate knowledge, ultimate reality? We see in this passage that we're going to look at today that when we seek after wisdom, we'll find God. Would you meet me in Proverbs chapter 2? We'll be looking at the entire chapter today of Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. And we see that when we seek wisdom, we find God, the triune God of the universe, the head, the source, the headwaters of this incredible stream of wisdom that flows from Him. Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 2, the first five verses. My son, remember this is Solomon speaking, an older wise man speaking to a younger man. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Also, bringing you back to my childhood, there was a river, not the Mississippi River, but the Fishhook River that, that wound its way near where I grew up, the house that I grew up. And my siblings and my friends would go down and swim in this river. And the river went underneath the road through two culverts and kind of pooled in this large area, then took a hard left and went around the bend. And when, when you're about, you know, this high, just like a little waist high, knee high person as I was back then, mom never let me jump off the culverts, which all the kind of the risky kids did. I was kind of jealous about that. But then I would look down to the left where it took a hard left and kind of wound into mystery. And as a little person, you, you kind of think that's, that's probably where children are swept away and never seen of again. So I didn't want, didn't want to go down there. I couldn't go over there. So this big pool area where the water pooled was kind of my spot. And I'm, I was certainly no Michael Phelps, but I graduated from the arm floaties. You know, I could, I could doggy paddle with the best of them. And I would swim around, me and my friends, and there was that point in the pool where the river started to narrow and it took a hard left and the current would pick up. The power started to snowball and, and that's kind of the point where you play, it's a little bit of an adrenaline, oh, don't go too far, so you get swept away and you learn very, very quickly, as any of you, if you've ever swam in a river before, been in a river, you gotta respect the current. It's powerful. There's a weight, there's a gravitas, there's a pull, there's a power that comes with this moving water. And have you ever had the experience where you've met a wise person, someone that was wise, someone that perhaps they were a person of few words, a man or woman of few words, but when they spoke, man, it, it kind of makes you think, why, why don't I just have this person run my life? <laughs> There's a weight there. There's a depth. There's a power that comes with wise word, and we've got to respect the current. It's powerful. And you might wonder, where does that come from? 
Proverbs 2 says it comes from God, the triune God of the universe. And that's why the writer in this portion pleads with the son to pursue it. Listen to this language again. If you receive my words, if you treasure them up, uh, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, call out for wisdom, raise your voice. Verse 4, seek it like silver, search for it as hidden, tre as hidden treasures. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you swim upstream from wisdom, you'll find Him, the triune God of the universe. And then we run into this phrase again, fear of the Lord. As we said a couple weeks ago, if you miss this phrase, you're going to miss the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is this loving, affectionate awe and reverence and relationship with God. More than respect, less than terror. It's a relational phrase. It says, Lord, I trust you, and I'm yours, and you are mine. And from that place of worship and awe and love flows this incredible stream of wisdom from God. Seek wisdom, find God. And then there's a beautiful snowball effect. Find God, and then wisdom flows. Look at what it says in the next three verses. Verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. When verse 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom, that might seem like a simple truth, especially for those who have perhaps been around Christian circles. Maybe you've been a Christian for most of your life. The Lord gives wisdom. We might think, ah, not too earth-shattering, is it? But in a cultural moment and in a time that we find ourselves in now, this is a profound truth. This is very countercultural. Why? Because in our cultural moment, we see and we hear all, all sorts of different places that truth is in you. You've got to decide what's right and wrong. You've got to make your own truth. We hear phrases like, well, who's to say? Kind of assuming you've got your truth, I've got my truth. That's the cultural moment we live in. But all, the, all of a sudden, along comes Proverbs chapter 2 and says, no, wisdom comes from God. The Lord gives wisdom, ultimate truth, ultimate reality, ultimate knowledge. God owns it, and then he gives it to us. And this is why it's so profound. If truth and wisdom comes horizontally and not vertically, that's either going to fill us with pride or it's going to paralyze us. If truth resides in you and me, if I have to make my own truth, that will fill me with pride. Why? Because I have got the truth. Or it's going to paralyze me. I'm not going to be able to say anything. Why? Because we'll start to hear phrases like, who's to say, right? But if ultimate truth and reality and beauty and wisdom comes from God and he gives it to us, it doesn't fill us with pride. It doesn't trap us. It fills us with praise. It fills us with delight and love for him. And not only does it fill us with praise, it gives us an ability to speak truth, God's truth, into the lives of others in a way that isn't prideful. Why? Because we're just the messenger. It didn't originate with us. This didn't originate with us. It came from God to us. 
And we navigate through this life with the wisdom that God gives to us. Not only does it keep us from pride and moves our hearts into praise, but this is profound also for another reason, that if wisdom comes from God, doing what is right or just or righteous or equitable or taking good paths, as verses 8 and 9 say, if wisdom comes from God, these now are not merely options, they're obligations for us. If truth and wisdom resides with me, doing what is right is an option, not an obligation. Let me put it this way. Imagine you have invented an incredible cure for a terrible disease. If you stumble onto it, think of the great inventors of all history. Once you stumble onto something good, you know what the first is you do with it? You don't tell anybody <laughs> until you get a patent on it, right? Until you sort things out about how is the money going to come and go and flow and who's going to get the credit for it and what's that going to mean for the company that I work for. If you stumble onto something good and you invent something tremendous and beautiful and it's yours, you are its creator, you tell nobody until it's beneficial for you to share. But if an incredible cure for a terrible disease is given to you by sheer grace, you didn't invent it. It's not yours. It's just given to you. You know what the first thing you're going to do is? You are going to share. You are going to go out of your way to tell complete strangers about it. And it won't be out of pride. It will be out of humility and grace. It's just been given to you. Imagine, can you imagine whoever invented the first s'more? It's s'more season. Do you ever think, who thought of this? This is brilliant. Don't you think, Man, if they had a patent on this in some way, they would be gazillionaires. Or have you ever, you know, the graham cracker, marshmallow, Hershey's chocolate, that's kind of the standard, then a graham cracker, cracker. ever tried it? Ever tried it with a Reese's peanut butter cup? Huh? Try it. It's incredible. And it's one of those things where it's so good. We just want to tell each other. We just want to share it. If truth if ultimate wisdom is given to us by grace from God, these things are not only obligations, but it's an obligation that we're going to want to do. The Christ-shaped heart, the gospel-shaped heart, does not move into obedience out of duty and burden, and I have to do it. It moves to obedience out of delight and joy, and I want to obey what God has called me to. Why? Because he's revealed himself. He's given to us by sheer grace. And that frees us up to navigate through society in such a way that we're not filled up with pride, because we didn't invent this, nor are we paralyzed with fear. Why? Because it's been given to us in such a way that doing what is right and good is not only an obligation, but good for society, and we want to do it. Do you see all this from this little phrase, the Lord gives wisdom. It starts with him. If this is all a cosmic accident, time plus chance, there is no higher being, you and I, humanity, we're it. We're the, top of the, we're the top of the food chain. We're the top of the pyramid. If this is all a cosmic accident and it's just you and I, then why, why, do I, my, why must I do what is right? Why must I? It's an option. But if there is a God, so claims the Bible. 
if he is good and righteous and gracious and he has revealed himself to us, then not only must I obey, but I want to obey because he has taken the first step of grace and initiation to me and to you. Seek wisdom, you're going to find God. Find God, and wisdom is going to flow from him, from his character and his being. And you might think, okay, but, but so what? What does all this mean? How does this apply? What's the value of wisdom? Why should I seek it so fervently as this passage is calling me to? What's, what's the value? What's the purpose? Well, wisdom does two things, perhaps many more things, but at least two that this passage highlights. It guards us from going down the path to our own demise, our own death, our own undoing, and it simultaneously guides us down the path of wisdom and life in our greatest human flourishing. Wisdom does both. It keeps us from taking paths that will lead to our undoing, and it guides us down paths that lead us in the greatest amount of human flourishing under God's design and His care. Look at what the next few verses say. Verses 9 and following. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom guards our heart from the evil that we see within. And this is, this is a biblical truth that it's actually kind of hard to swallow. Uh, this is one of those nasty-tasting medicines, but is actually good for us, this reality and truth that says biblical Christianity doesn't see the human heart as basically good, but kind of needs a little tune-up here and there. Biblical Christianity paints the human heart as something basically bad, as something basically broken. And we don't need a tune-up. We need a heart transplant. <laughs> That's why we see all throughout the Bible that these metaphors for salvation is, are metaphors of, of, of resurrection, that God brings what is dead and gives it new life, that darkness needs light, that we are lost and wayward and foolish. We need someone to find us. We don't just need a little tune-up from God. We need to be made new. We need to be made new creations. Because the same brokenness and evil, the same things that we see out there that disturb us or disgust us or make us mad, if we are honest with ourselves, it's the same evil that we see in here. <laughs> As it's been famously said by another, what's the problem with the world, dear sirs? I am. It's my heart. It's, it's the jealousy, it's the brokenness, it's the anger, it's the rage, it's the, it's the twisted thoughts that exist in my heart. <laughs> and though that is sobering news, that is healthy news for us to wrestle with. Why? Because it drives us to grace. It drives us to the gospel. It drives us to, for our need for a savior. <laughs> we don't just, God did not send Jesus to be our kind of self-help accomplice or guru, to give us some wise tips along the way. He, God sent Christ to be our Savior, our Redeemer, to resurrect us from 
death and from, from the dead. And then God gives us, as we see in this passage, wisdom. He gives us his word. And he pleads with us, there is an option of a path to go down a dark path of evil and perverseness, as this passage says, verses 9 through 15, and wisdom says, don't go there. Don't go there. It's a loving warning from God's word. It's saying if we're, when we're tempted to go down dark paths, it's saying, please don't turn back. Because wisdom is like a tool. It's like a knife. It's like a blade that can be used either in the hands of villains for ill or can be a blade used for good, like in the hands of a surgeon. The same savvy or wisdom can be used to distort, to manipulate, to create uh, traps, crooked paths, but it's the same wisdom that can navigate us out of them or away from them or to see them and to not go down them. That's why this passage, you can hear the voice of this older gentleman in the faith speaking to a younger gentleman, or absolutely applies an older woman in the faith speaking to a younger woman, an older person in the faith pleading with us, God's word pleading with us, don't go down dark paths. It guards us from that. And then in the following verses, God's word brings up a very specific example, very challenging example. Listen to what it says next, verses 16 and following. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, her spouse, and forgets the covenant of her God, that's her marriage covenant. For her house sinks down to death in her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Wisdom not only guards us from the evil that we find within, but it also guards us from the temptations that we face without. It does both. It keeps us. It protects us. It guards us. All of God's prohibitions are protective and loving in nature. When God pleads with us and says, please don't do this, it's a parent pleading with a child, please don't touch a hot oven. Please don't run in the street. These prohibitions are protective and life-giving in nature, and this passage calls us to it in this specific example, example facing sexual temptation. It's hard to improve on the illustration, and actually, Pastor Dan used it last week. I'm going to use it again just because I think it's, it's so good. Remember uh, in the Odyssey by Homer? Join me again in junior year, uh, junior year English class. Remember this portion? In the Odyssey by Homer where Odysseus is coming home from war by ship over the sea, and he's warned about the beautiful sound of the sirens in their seductive song. Remember what that warning was? You will come to the sirens who enchant all who come near them. If anyone unwaringly draws too close and hears the singing of the sirens who sit in a green field, they will warble him to death with the sweetness of their song, singing, come here. There is a great heap of dead men's bones lying all around with the flesh still rotting off them. It's a disturbing image. 
it's, it's a sobering image. It's one that makes us kind of squirm as we hear it, and that is exactly the image of what Proverbs chapter 2 is already illustrating. When we go down that path of sexual temptation, we got to recognize that this house sinks down to death. The paths of the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. It's a dark, challenging, destructive path. Because when sin, especially sexual temptation, every flattering word, every suggestive look, every seductive image is sin saying, come, die with me. Come, die with me. It's disturbing, it's troubling, it's this siren song, it's the pull of the, of, of the mermaid that draws sailors in and then absolutely... It, it destroys us, it disintegrates us. And this is something, it's, it's a sobering topic, it's a challenging topic, but it's an important topic. Why? Because we all, 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 all of us, men and women, young and old, we all struggle with this. We all do. This is not a topic for someone else. This is not a topic that I hope someone else hears. This is a topic we all need to hear, something we all need to wrestle through. And there are times in our life perhaps you have prayed or perhaps someone you know has prayed who has prayed, Lord, temptation, sexual temptation is so powerful, it's so strong. Can you just take away this desire, period? Can you just take it all away and remove it? It's exhausting to battle this battle. And every generation, every generation has gone through this battle. So this is nothing new per se. Perhaps what's unique about our cultural moment is access. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in commercials, it's on billboards, it's, it, it comes in in unwanted emails. It's absolutely everywhere. Access is a perhaps a new challenge and God's word says, don't go down that path. Turn back. And this is why when we pray the prayer, Lord, can you just take these desires away? Can you just make it impossible for me to go down the path of sexual temptation? This is why God, perhaps unfortunately, cannot do that. You want to know why? Because God designed that desire. He designed it. Remember, go back all the way to the beginning of the book. In the book of Genesis, God created everything, and it was good. That includes our sexuality. That includes marriage as God has designed it. One man, one woman in a lifelong covenant commitment till death do us part relationship. In marriage, in marriage, there is a way to talk and look and present oneself that says, come get me. And that's a beautiful, God-designed, wonderful thing. God made it. And we look all throughout the Bible and we see that sexuality in marriage is designed to be an expression of love, a way to, to offer and serve and love your spouse. It, it, it's an expression of, of pleasure that you give to your spouse. It's an expression of, a, of the covenant commitment made. It's what consummates a marriage, that in marriage, one man, one woman say, till death do us part, I'm yours and you are mine. That's an emotional connection, that's a relational connection, and physically we represent what is already true of us, married couples, through what God has designed and called good. And also, within marriage, sex is literally the way that new life is brought into this world, and God loves babies. 
God loves new life. He designed this thing and he gave it to us. Genesis 3 happened and the game gets very challenging now, doesn't it? Because the same desire that God designed as good is now the same struggle that has a tremendously powerful pull that can drag us in and dash our ship against the rocks and lead to our own undoing. I've heard another pastor illustrate, and he said that sexuality in marriage, one man, one woman, lifelong covenant commitment, it's like super glue. It's relational super glue. And as we all know, super glue is, super glue is not a post-it. You don't super glue something and then remove it and then super glue it again. If you super glue two pieces of paper together, they are not coming apart, and that's a good thing. And that's what God has designed for us. And that's why when we pray, Lord, can you just take this away? He can't because he designed it. Sin distorts it. And that's why, see the converse challenge? What is so powerful and what is supposed to be powerful in marriage is so powerful and can be terribly tempting when it's exercised outside of God's control and God's design. And that's why this book of Proverbs, as we see in chapter 2, and as we'll see again in, in future chapters, even through chapters 1 through 9, God's word says, be wise, be wise, be wise. Perhaps there's people that you need to get into your life, to do life with, to share these struggles with. Perhaps there's circumstances that you need to remove from your life, Perhaps there's access to things that you need to just remove from your life to help you in this process. And the book of Proverbs says, do it. Do it. Lean into wise steps and wise action in this area of our life. So wisdom both protects us from our own demise, it protects us from passive foolishness, but not only is it a defensive tool, it's an offensive tool also. Wisdom not only guards us from going down dark paths, it leads us down paths of light and human flourishing and to live according to God's design. Look at verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10 says that, For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Look at verses 20 and 21. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of, righteous, of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And Proverbs 2, like many places in the book of Proverbs, presents us with an option, a crossroads. And when the path of foolishness and when the path of wisdom diverge, Proverbs 2 is telling us, take wisdom, take wisdom. Take the path of wisdom, and to borrow the words of the poet, it will make all the difference. <laughs> there might be some listening to this message at this point in the message that you might be more overwhelmed with feelings of guilt or shame or brokenness or need, more so than inspired and moved to action. I want to encourage you, this is a hard topic. It's a personal topic. It's one that all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us come with a measure of brokenness and need. 
this is a topic I think specifically sexual temptation and sexual sin. Satan is going to want to isolate us to move us deeper and deeper away. Don't tell anyone. Don't share. You're alone. You're the only one that struggles with this. And we find ourselves isolated and the snowball picks up speed and we go deeper and deeper and deeper and down the path of our own undoing. Can I encourage you, if you're hearing this message today and you are overwhelmed with brokenness, wrestling with feelings of guilt or shame, feeling alone or isolated, can I encourage you? You've come to the right place. <laughs> Join the club. Why? Because our good physician, God our Savior, did not come for the healthy. He came for the broken. He came for the sick. He came for the needy. He came for the sinful, like me and like you. No matter how far down the path of foolishness you might find yourself and you don't want to be there, can I encourage you? There is no, there is no step on that path where you can say, I'm too far gone, that God's grace cannot find you and God's grace cannot bring you home. Listen to these two passages. I literally could go to dozens and dozens of passages all throughout the Bible to illustrate this, but listen just to these two passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 and following. For consider your calling, brothers or brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's another one. Listen to what, let these words marinate and be healing, a healing presence to your soul. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and following. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the watching of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you know what these passages are saying? Do you know what the gospel is saying? That God has come to seek and to save the lost. That's you and me. That God comes to restore and redeem and to heal that which is broken. And that's me and that's you. If you are here today thinking, I'm too far gone. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know the things I've seen. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the ways I've hurt those whom I love most. And you know what? That might be true. I don't know, and I have not seen. But do you know who does know and who has seen? God. But watch this. That's not something to be terrified about. That's something to receive his grace from. 
the beauty of the gospel, as it's been said by another preacher, that God doesn't save us because of who we are and what we've done. He saves us in spite of who we are and what we've done. God doesn't save us because we are so lovely and pure. He saves us in spite of our unloveliness and our impurity. This is the loving grace of God our Savior. Do you see that that's offered to you? Do you see that that can bring healing to you? And I want to encourage you that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the only lover who does not draw us in to die, that we might die. He's the only lover that dies to draw us in that we might have life in him. He pursues us. No matter how far down that path you are, no matter how much you feel there's no hope, no matter, no matter how overwhelming the burden of shame and guilt and sin might be, it's no burden that grace cannot lift off you. It's no burden that Christ has not already borne for you, and he's so committed to it that he died for it. He bore the weight of my shame, my guilt, your shame, your guilt on the cross that we might be made new. That's the gospel. That's what's offered to you today. So can I encourage you? There might be a conversation that you need to have. Perhaps a conversation with God. Perhaps a conversation with your spouse. Perhaps a conversation with someone who knows and loves and trusts God and who knows and loves you. Because can I encourage you? Just beyond the door as we go through the door, there is grace and forgiveness and restoration waiting for us. How do you get through that door? Confession. Repentance. Trust. Throwing yourself in the arms of God who alone can redeem and restore and heal you. It's a scary thing to confess sin. Let that fear be transformed into hope in the way in which Christ can restore you. Take a courageous step down the path, away from the path of foolishness and deep down the path of wisdom that leans into the loving, forgiving arms of God. So when that option presents itself, the path of foolishness and the path of wisdom, can I lovingly urge you, take wisdom. Take wisdom. Because He will make all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we come to you humbled. Lord, we come to you with the realization and knowledge of our own brokenness and our own need for our Savior. So, Father, I pray for every single man and woman and boy and girl who can hear my voice and could hear this message that you would let them know just how sweet forgiveness truly is, just how committed you are to restoration and redemption. May we see afresh, Lord, that there is nothing too broken that you cannot fix, or that you are in the business of taking what is broken and making it new. You are in the business of taking what is dead and bringing it back to life. So, Father, help us to do that. Lord, we know that we are prone to wander. We are have a propensity to cover ourselves in shame. Lord, may we open up to you. 
and find that your grace and your love replace that shame that we might glorify and love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.vcgurney.org.